I'm a single mom and I'm rageful, right? You know, I'm bad, I'm mad. I have a 17-year-old daughter and I don't like that bitch. Can I say that? I love her, but I don't like her. I mean, I can't say that at home. It's considered child abuse, right? Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And now during quarantine, watching us on YouTube as well, I wanna welcome such an incredible person, performer, comedian, please give it up, Ida Rodriguez. Pop on, pop on. Come closer. I'm so happy to have you and I'm so appreciative because you are an awesome human being and performer. And what I love so much about you, and then you're gonna say a big fat hello, is that you're a comedian because you base it all from your pain pit, which I talk about in my book, is now your power pit, which allows you to go from the truth, and I believe everything should come from the truth, and you are so truthful and real, and that is why you are so incredibly funny and successful and vibrant, and I appreciate that, and I just wanna shout that out to you and to the world who's ever listening to this. So, hi. Hi, thank you, I received that, I appreciate it, and I, I believe that, uh, I believe in the laws of attraction, so I know that there's a reason why I was I came to you, and it's because you are all those things and then some. So, and I missed you. I miss being in class with you. Yeah, I miss too. I miss you too. You made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> we had a breakthrough well, in that said, class. You said you can't feel emotion. I went, hmm. I think you can. Yeah, you did. Yes, and it's so beautiful because guess what? And we're going to talk about your life, but for all people who are out there who are comedians and want to be actors too, if you can do comedy, you can definitely do drama. So you have all the yes. tools necessary. But anyway, okay, so let's talk about your life. People that following you that are going to listen to this know a little bit about you, but my viewers don't necessarily know about your path. And as a comedian, so can we just address how it all began for you, just in little increments? Sure. So comedy started for me. So I came here to be an actress. I came here to, I came here with a script that I wrote that made it to like the final cut of the Sundance Writers Lab. And that was what made me move to California. And I was like, I'm going to make it. <laughs> I didn't know that there was a journey long, that was going to be a long journey ahead of that, uh, beyond that. But I came here to be an actress, but I had always wanted to be a stand-up comedian since I was little. My mom said that I used to grab the broomstick and I used to tell jokes and entertain the family. And um, I was doing a radio show for Jamie Foxx and he had, a, he had his own radio network and I was on there and they kept telling me, you are a comic, you're a stand-up comic. Like the, your cadence, the things that you say, the, your point of view, you're very much a comedian. So, um, I was challenged by uh, Chris Spencer and a guy named Speedy to go on stage. And I went on stage twice. The first time I went on stage, I did really well. And I was like, eh, I don't know about this. You know, like the second time I did really bad. And that was, that was what said, oh, I want to do this. And I can do this. I know I can do so it. So go with the negative to push you to the positive. You know what? It was like, it felt like, like a challenge. And it being uh, easy made it seem um, not real, not, not valuable to me. Mm. When I realized that stand-up comedy was hard and it, it had nothing to do with being a funny person, it had to do with a skill set, mm -hmm. then I realized 
oh, I, I, I want to do this. I want to crack this nut. I really want to do this. Let me just interject. How did you get that radio job? And then I want to talk about what is that skill set for comedians and doing stand-up? So the way I got that job was um, they saw me. Where did they see me? I had a conversation. It, I, oh, I was, my, my girlfriend had a, a birthday party and she had a roast. And I had never done anything. She asked me to roast her alongside all of these comedians. And I was very intimidated because I was like, I don't, I don't know what a roast is. I don't know. But I was the highlight of the brunch because it was just raw. You know, it wasn't calculated. It wasn't choreographed. It was just rawness that people were responding to. And then the guy, one of the guys was like, hey, can you come do this radio show? Like, I like the way you think. You got a point of view. And that's how I ended up on the radio show. Oh, that is crazy. Okay, so then, so now let's address what is that skill set? I mean, you can write good material, but what else? So comedy is about a lot of things. Um, I think you know, like yes. So there's definitely a technical skill set where you need to know how to write a joke, and that's not just saying something that's funny, but understanding that there's a structure to it, just like a script. You know, there's structure to a joke you understand that there's a premise there's a punchline there are you know tags like there there's actually a format that in which you write jokes some people are joke tellers and they tell do one-liners some people are joke tellers and they're a little bit you know they're a little bit more um long-winded and then there are people who are like me who are storytelling comics who tell stories like uh, george carlin was, was more of a storyteller and richard Pryor. Um, but you know, in addition to the jokes, like, I think that there is, there are components to what makes a stand-up comedian, like stage presence is very important. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not about how you dress or what you have on. It's just understanding the space and being able to command it. Um, you know, being, it's like a, you're like a conductor, you're conducting the audience, right? And so that is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be conducting the audience. And there are some people who are really funny and they have no grasp of the stage. They get on stage and they just cannot, the audience just, they can't connect with the audience. They can't take, they can't take them on a journey. The audience doesn't see it in them. Um, okay, I think- let ask, Wait, let me just ask that. So what is that tool that you use to take the audience on the journey? Because we're gonna get into it later about taking other people's word as an actress and make those and take us on that journey. You're taking your own words. So do you sit and you sculpt it and you have thoughts and do you look I at do. certain people in the audience to bring them in? What's your thing? So I watch the audience before I go on stage. Um, oh. I'm a headliner, so I have, the, I have the, ben the benefit of being able to watch my openers go up so I can really observe the stage and the audience and see what they're responding to. I, oh. I have accepted that as a rule, that I've adopted that as a rule in terms of my stand-up life, some comedians will show up seconds before they have to go on stage. They don't want to watch the openers. They don't care about the audience. They're like selfish lovers to me. Like they're, they, all they want to do is get their, you know, they want to get theirs, but they don't care about the audience. For me, I'm not wired that way. It's important for me to have an interactive experience with the audience that they also are part of it. So I actually, I always observe I don't like going on a stage without observing the audience first. It's very hard when you do TV mm. because if you're doing TV, you don't really get that much interaction with the audience. 
But I, I got to tell you, every single thing that I've done from Showtime to Netflix to HBO to Nas Comic Standing, I have found a way to sneak somewhere and watch the audience and see how they're responding. And do you, do you adjust your, uh, your show, your monologue, which, you know, it, it is for that? What do you do? I don't adjust my show for the audience. What I do is adjust my energy for them. Um, because I think that it's important to listen, right? Like and, and, and as an artist, right? You have to listen. Some people will go into a show. They will see that the audience is not responding to anything political. And then mm. they will proceed to do a bunch of political jokes and, and then wonder why the audience didn't respond to them. They're not there for that that night. That's not what they're there for. Maybe they've been watching too many, too much news and they want to get away from that. This is escapism mm -hmm. for them. And that some people want to hear political stuff and they'll go see Dennis Miller or they'll go see Patton Oswalt. Yes. But sometimes they don't. So I think that what I do is I just make sure that I'm listening to what they're responding to. And I, I don't, I, my material is what my material is, but I do have enough material where I'm like, oh, that these, so this can, is a family audience. They want to hear family stuff. Pivoting is key. I think it's key auditioning. It's key in performing. Um, it's yeah. key that, that communication, because you're a storyteller, just like you are as an actress is a storyteller. You are that. You've written your own material. I have loved how you just use your entire family life to fuel you. And mm -hmm. I think it's your power, even though a lot of, you know, painful things have happened in your childhood, but you use it. And you know what? I think your audience loves you because they can embrace and relate. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I think it's important to be honest. And also, I think that there, everybody has a different way to cope. Mm. You know, I, I do have the, I do extend the courtesy to my family members to discuss the material before I take it out because it is theirs as well as mine. Mm. But I don't let anybody, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've grown to the place where I don't allow anybody to mute me because what I'm saying, my experience may, makes them uncomfortable because of what their negligence or irresponsibility caused in my life. And I had to learn to find the balance between those things because, you know, even my own mother would be like, I can't believe you told people I did that to you. And I'm like, you did do that to me. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm like, this is my experience as well as it's yours. And I said, you know, some people go to therapy. Some people write books. Some people write an album. I, wrote, I write comedy. And that's, my, that's the way I get through it. And how many hours a day do you write? Do you write every day? What's your ritual? And then do you try things out to make sure it works so you don't edit yourself and it's okay not to hit every joke and not everything have to work perfectly? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. So I write, I try to write all the time. Um, I can show you like my tape, my desk is all color coded. Oh, I love so it. Yes, yesterday when I was um, performing, I had my note cards like around, arranged around the computer so that I can, because I'm working on my new jokes from my HBO special that I'm taping um, at the end of the year. So I had to. Look how she um, just quickly went through that and just did, just, she like glided through that. It's <laughs> Go, so ahead. Back to that. Go ahead. Go ahead. But I just sat down and I said, you know what, I'm going to work on these jokes today because I haven't been on stage because we've been in quarantine. So I haven't had an opportunity to work out new material. So that's what that was about for me. Um, 
So yeah, I, and, and you know, I do talk about things that make people uncomfortable because I get eat. I got an email. I, I had an eating disorder. I'm a recovering anorexic, and I got an email. Um, I did a comedy show at the Hollywood Improv, and I got an email from an A-list actress in a, a, the next day, and I'll never tell her name, but she was like, "I just want you to know that I was at the point of relapsing." Um, and she's like, and I went to meeting, a meeting this morning because I saw you yesterday at the improv and I, and it just, she said it resonated with me so much that instead of me, you know, going and throwing up my breakfast, I went to meeting and I was just like, wow, you know, I've had, um, a mother come up to me after a show and I thought she was going to fight me. It was this a Mexican woman that had like a teardrop tattooed on her face. And I was like, oh, she's going to beat me up because I said something. And she said, my son hung himself two weeks ago in my backyard. And oh. she said, this is the first time that I've laughed since my son died. And I felt bad coming to a comedy show. My friends dragged me. And she just said, I wanted to say thank you to you because she said, I will love you forever. You will be the first laugh I had since my son killed himself. And those are the things that, you know, keep me going. Like, so for me, it's, a, it's not just about me. Like, when I talk about my special, I got emails from sexual assault survivors, mm. people who have also been kidnapped by their parents, you know, people Which who- another story that people don't know until yeah. they listen to your stand-up to hear that story yet, but go ahead. Yeah, people who grew up with uh, domestic violence in the home where the women were the aggressors because we never, when we talk about domestic violence, it's always framed, in a, you know, from the point of view that men are the abusers. Like I grew, I, I reached so many people that my inbox is like, I could never get to, through all the emails. Like people are like, you have no idea. It's so incredible, which means that the stories, because they're truthful and they're so, everyone has a story. Everyone has the good, the bad, the ugly. So if they can relate. And what I love about your essence is that it's calm. It's calm. At the same time, it's sassy. At yeah. the same time, it's kind of ballsy. At the same time, it's just got a beautiful aura around it. So it just, it makes it so accessible. Like you, you haven't pinned yourself with an attitude. You've actually, when I see you and I'm working with you, there's an openness of um, like a vessel. So I think that really resonates with audience. And so the words are really heard clearly and you don't like make a judgment on the words. Well, you know, I, 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 I have a lot of jokes. I have notebooks upon notebooks on my desk of jokes that I've written. Before I take the joke out, I always ask myself, does this come from a place of love, of, of revenge, or hate? Mm. And if it comes from revenge or hate, I table the joke, even if it's funny, because I don't want my jokes to, to be out there at the expense of another because I'm hurting, I'm going to hurt another person or a group of people. So it always comes from a place of love. Even when I talk about race, it's not because I hate white people, it's because I love all people. And I want, <laughs> I want to get to the place, you know, like my, my brother is married to a white woman. I have a nephew that's blonde with blue eyes. His name is Benjamin and he adores me. He's my nephew, he's my brother's son. So yes. that's my nephew, you know, like, and so for me, it's like, the, the thing that I talk, the things that I talk about, even though they're rooted in truth, they come from a place of love. And I, and I do not, even the joke about my stepfather who abused me, 
and got beat up. I, my brother and I had a battle about that joke because that joke is about his biological father. He's my stepfather. Mm. And I had to take my brother's feelings into consideration before, because he is a human being too. But it, it, I had to, I tabled that joke for years because when I first started telling the joke, I was telling it from a place of rage because I was so angry with him. Mm. I did not give that joke to the public until I was able to forgive him and move past it. And then it came from a place of love, which is why I think it resonated with so many people because I don't hate him. You know, actually I do love him. I've gotten to the, I've forgiven him. And I want, I, he's stuck in Cuba right now because of this quarantine. Right. And I call my sister every couple of days to see where he is and how can I help. But I had to get to that before I gave that joke because if the joke came from the wrong place, it would feed the wrong things. I just have to say that is the most valuable piece of information that I've ever heard about a comedian to tell everybody. And I hope people out there who are listening, who are writing, really take that into consideration because I think that is why you're so likable and that's why it all works. A hundred percent. Now, let me ask you this. How has this quarantine wreaked havoc on your life and transformed everything? And, and I'm sure there's a sadness because I know when you were coming to my studio to work, you were always traveling. You have a big traveling career. And so what are all these feelings? What are you doing with them? And how has it affected you? Honestly, a lot of questions. <laughs> no, honestly, um, I, can, I cannot lie. I have so it's it came with such I'll be really honest with you the only thing I miss is going to your class. What? I, yeah, because, I promise you. I feel like the stand up because I feel like I was getting through I was making like progress with you and my stand up was getting in the way. And I love stand up, but I feel like the touring had so I just believe in the universe. I believe that everything happens for a reason. Mm. You know, when I, my last stand up gig, I broke my wrist and my elbow. Yes, I remember you wrote me and you're like, I like ice. And so I feel like the universe was trying to slow me down. I was everywhere all the time. And then one thing that I started feeling with you because I have worthiness issues, right? You know that, we talked about it, right? So I have these worthiness issues. So a lot of jobs that people present me, I would just take them because I'm like, I gotta take this job, I gotta take this job. And I was overworking myself, devaluing my art and overextending my, my instrument because as a human being, it was just so much. So yeah. the quarantine just hit right on the right time because I broke my wrist and my elbow. And I just think that the universe was just like, that's it you're going to take a time out right now. You're going to focus on this pilot and the next phase of what's supposed to be happening. That is the nicest compliment you've said to me. I, really I missed the class because I was like, uh, and I went, in, and I'm not going to, you know, I was out of touch because I went into a deep, deep depression. Yes. And I disconnected from everybody. People thought I was, it was me doing my social media. I had somebody doing it for me. Oh. With old videos and stuff like that. I was completely disconnected. Triggered, but triggered by breaking your arm or triggered by the quarantine? What was it triggered? Just by it, was, it was the arm. You know, I moved into another place. I, uh, the quarantine hit and I had just closed my deals. Like I closed my, my TV deal, my animation deal, my movie deal. My, my comedy special deal was in the 
in the works. And then I was like, oh shit, now this is going to go away because of the quarantine. Mm. And then I, then I had to sit down and center myself mm. and say, they don't want me because it's, it's a trend. They want me because I'm good and they know that I'm good and that's not going to go away. I'm not going to, I had to really sit and it took, it took weeks for me to get back. Right? But during that, during that deep, darker time, did you lay in bed? Did you force yourself to eat better? Did you force yourself to exercise to keep, you know, I know she laughs. I bought that bike, <laughs> a spin bike. I got Peloton and I started working out because I wanted to, um, I kept complaining about, so I, I have to be very careful with dieting and working out because I am a recovering, you know, person with um, self-destructive eating habits. So mm -hmm. I had to like um, say, because I, I go through these extremes, I'll either go, I'll get too extreme or mm -hmm. one way or the other. And I, I'm finding balance, you know, like I am, I don't want to be, I want to be a certain way, weight and look a certain way when I'm on camera, because that's how I like the way I look. Mm -hmm. But then I had to sit down and chart that path to that, which in a healthy way, which mm -hmm. is something that I have to do. It's not second nature for me because, mm -hmm. you know, I've been on Xenadrin, I've been on, you know, uh, anabolic steroids. I've done, I've abused every, I've done every single diet from the cabbage soup diet to- I don't even know what that is, but okay, yes. Uh, Self-destructive stuff, but I've done clenbuterol. Like I've done, uh, you know, everything you can imagine that someone does for, to lose weight, I've done them all. So I have to always sit down and say, hey, okay, so what's the plan here? What are we doing? And for me, that was how, I sat down and I said, I got the bike, I started spinning and mm. I said, I'm going to get ready for TV because the truth for me is that TV is what's next for me. Mm. And that's, what's going to help my stand-up career because once I get on television regularly, then my touring changes, I get better venues. Mm. I don't have to go out as much and it's just part of the steps. And I wrote it down because that's what I wanted in my vision board. It was, I want to start doing theaters. And the step to the theaters for me is a television show. And we're going to cut to right now and talk about what that is. So you wrote a show, you sold a show. Um, it was getting ready to go into production. What's, what's, the, what's going on? So we just had notes. Um, I've been getting notes from the producers. Um, I have another note session tomorrow with another, the other producer. Before you just say that, because people listening are going, what does that mean a note session? So you wrote a show, you sold yeah. a show. Let's talk about that process. I'm getting off the um, depression pretty quickly. I'm going Good. into Yes. That's how I roll. All over the place. That's what you do all the time. You take it, you get that negative out of there quick. <laughs> Uh, that's good to hear, though. It's totally good. And you got yourself out of it. So now I heard that. I keep coming back. Yeah. No, so we, the, the, we sold the show on a pitch, right? We sold it to, uh, the show on a pitch. We went in and pitched the show. We gave them the idea for the pilot. They said yes. So then we went. I just want to ask, how does that happen? You get an appointment, you walk in, you talk about what the show is, and in the room they go, yes, we're going to buy it? So, I've always wondered. Okay, so the way that one worked for us, is they didn't buy it in the room. They, they, they bought it in the room, but we didn't know. They knew mm. they wanted the show because that afternoon they called the agent and they said, we do want it. Mm. Some people will tell you in the room, mm. we're going in. We, I sat down with uh, my showrunners 
um, who are also writers. And we talked about, for weeks, we talked about the concept of my show, what my show wanted, what I wanted my show to be. Hmm. My, my challenge with, show, with uh, my show was that I had so, uh, quite a few people trying to do sh a show with me, but they were trying to make me do one particular show. So they either said, you're going to do your origin story or you're going to do your story now. Mm. I wanted to do both, right? And I kept, they kept telling me that I couldn't do both. Mm. Then I saw Amazon's Homecoming with Julia Roberts, where they have two timelines going on at the same time. And I said, of, of course I can do it. Like, why can't I do it, right? They did it, they did it here. Um, and so I sat with my showrunners and I said, this is what I want to do. So they met me where I was and we went and pitched the show mm. with uh, two parallel timelines. And so uh, the people who took picture, pictures with me, because I did the first round, I didn't want to do network. I wanted to do, so we yeah. went to uh, HBO, went to Hulu, mm -hmm. Showtime, um, and TBS, TNT. Let's interject really quickly because you just went, so someone has to make the appointment. I, so my agent and uh, my, the showrunner's manager mm -hmm. got together, and they, we all came up with a plan of the places that we wanted to go. Hmm. And then they, uh, they set up the meetings. And so they call and they said, hey, this is, we have a one sheet that we came up with and we sent that to the agent. So the agent used that. Tell, tell everybody what a one sheet is. So the one sheet is, it's just one sheet of, uh, just a one sheet of paper describing the show, hmm. you know, and in summarizing the show. And, um, and they really want, they want 25 uh, words or less now. Like they just want... Wow a paragraph of what you, how would you pitch the show? And then we sent that out and then the people started saying, and they sent it with my comedy special so wow. that they could see who I was. Right, and which is on right now, we can see it on, what's it called? Netflix, it's called They Ready and it's episode yes. three. And so we, they, then they called and we went in and we pitched to all of the different, the different outlets. And then some, did they all want it or did just one? No, uh, we had, we, so we had three networks that all were, that were in the running. Like I could tell that the networks that, I, I could tell the networks that were not like interested and I didn't, I wasn't interested in them based on their feedback and how they perceived the show to be. Mm -hmm. But I, I just really liked the, where I landed because where I landed is I pitched it to women. And so um, they got it immediately and they were there for it. Whereas everywhere else I went, there was always a man in the room who would bring a person of color or a woman with them to also hear the pitch. And it, it was like, here's my token person, as opposed to where I, where I went, it was the women. The women were the- okay. You talk about not feeling worthy and running around, but it seems like you're feeling very worthy and you stuck to your belief system of what, what you wanted your show to do to be and you didn't let anyone sway you. No, well, you know, the, my, my television show is about my family. So sometimes I value them more than I value myself. So I was like, you're not going to bastardize my grandmother and make fun of my, you know, make them a mo make a mockery of my family. So Please. that was that was very important to me. Yes. So what happens next? So you did that, they bought it, then you go into rewrites and- We're and writing now. Quarantine. So, yeah. so yes. we wrote our, we still, quarantine was great for us because we were able to get, because they want it. 
because what happens is right after quarantine, they're going to want as much content because it's going to be a while before we get back to normalcy. So mm-hmm. streaming is going to go up because people are like searching and searching for content because they're at home more. Mm-hmm. So we, we wrote the first draft. We got notes from um, our producers. We're going to do another rewrite. So they wrote it. They wrote it. We, we all wrote it, but we have a process. Like the, there are three of us. And so the first writer, the showrunner, Chris Case, he, he takes a stab at it. They send, he sends it to the other writer and then mm-hmm. they send it to me. And then I redline it and I go in and I write. And what happened was uh, they sent me a script and I just sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to write all the dialogue. So I went in and I wrote all my own dialogue because it's in my own voice. Totally. And, um, and then I made some, stru- some changes about the story because I felt there, I did so much writing on my script that the, the, the executives at the network were like, wow, we didn't realize that you could actually write because most comedians just put their names on the script and the pe- other people write it. But they That's were crazy like, because you guys are writing your own shows all the time in order to be a stand-up comedian. Absolutely. So it was, it was um, but to adapt to that, that particular format can be challenging for some people. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, so now um, we're going to turn it into the network, but we're going to do another note session tomorrow, which will, the other producers will chime in and then we'll go back and do another rewrite and then very we'll send exciting. it to the network. It's very exciting. So because we don't know what the world is going to hold in the next six months and yeah. how to film it, they'll wait until this is over or will they do some kind of, um, they're preparing for shooting. Like um, the studios are, they're gonna wanna make people sign waivers from what I understand, but I also know they're gonna have a testing system in place and Mm. they're probably gonna start having some controlled sets so that they can get some stuff. It's very exciting. I'm so very, very proud and I cannot wait to work on it with you. I know, I'm excited about that. Just bring out the best in you and your essence, which you bring wherever you go, but it is an adjustment, it, and, and we can talk about that for a second. It is an adjustment doing your, your own words versus doing somebody else's words. And you have gone in for things and auditioned for things, and it's, it's a big adjustment when you're, when you're making those words come from your heart as you do your own words. So what advice would you give to some stand-ups out there who are writing stand-up and have the dream to be actors as well? Because I think all performers want to eventually do both if they're starting oh. in when I learned, I, I'm, I mean, I, I came here as an actress and the first job that I booked, the first audition I went on when I got signed by Agency West when I first got here mm-hmm. and I had to do a monologue and they signed me. And then the first audition they sent me on was an independent film and I booked it. Oh. And, and I feel like when I started doing standup, I, I got, I got, became a worse actress because I felt like I did because you're not, you're practicing so much just being yourself Mm. That it's almost a battle when you have to become somebody else or bring yourself because you don't have to become somebody else. You just you just bring you to this this new world. You bring yourself to the imaginary circumstances, uh, and of course, sometimes you have to fill in blanks that are not connected yes. to you. Of course, and yeah. because we do write, we we're so resistant to other people's words because we're like, who wrote this? This is horrible. Because television comedy is so different, right? And as you learn in your class, like. There's a difference between multicam and single cam, and there's a difference in, in the tone in both. And mm-hmm. I, I personally, uh, I had, I did a, an industry showcase, and they were all dying laughing because I said, just first of all, so that you guys know, 
I'm single camera premium cable. Like I was like, so anybody who's here, no. from yeah, that wants me to do multicam network TV, please see the exit. And they all started laughing because I was like, I know who I am and you do too. So let's not even play that game. But oh God, that's what makes you so awesome. Okay. Before we, we, I'm super excited. Let me just say, I, if you want to watch Ida right now, you can watch her on Netflix on her special. You're having another special come out. Your show is going to go into production. It feels like everything's on the upswing for you. And I'm so incredibly happy for you and proud that you're in my world too. Makes my heart smile. And I just, I adore you so much. I adore you too. Thank you. And of course, you know, all my classes are online right now. So get your little butt in there. I'll be here Friday. Remember? Oh, we yeah. said Yay. Okay. Don't forget. Um, give me three things of advice you would give to young actors or comedians out there to keep them on that positive path, to keep them in that productive place, some kind of advice. So I always say, I have my rules. Like one is go with you because you will eventually show up anyway. I love that. You know, that's not, it, so many people are out there doing their greatest impression of what they think an actor is, their greatest impression of what they think an entertainer is because they watch a Kardashian or they watch, you know, a TV show. Just be yourself because people gravitate, they buy you and then they buy what you're selling. That's, that's what a good salesperson is. So mm. be your, go as you, you will show up anyway. And that's more embarrassing. <laughs> if you just go as yourself, you can just, you can win as you. Um, the other thing I will say is there are no shortcuts to greatness. There are shortcuts to fame. There's shortcuts to getting rich, but there are no shortcuts to, to greatness. So even if you book a movie and, you know, you get the shot because your father knows the cousin of somebody at a studio, that doesn't guarantee you greatness. And if you get that opportunity and you don't show up for it, all it does is expose you for being bad. So work on your craft because there, there is no getting around the work that goes into being great. And I think people, people confuse the work that goes into being great and the work that goes into being famous as two different things. You can have all the likes on Instagram and people will still whisper behind your back and say, she's garbage. You know, like <laughs> you want your peers to respect you, you know, just like the wide receivers in the NFL want to be respected by the other wide receivers. You want your peers to know that you show up and there, look, I have a lot of famous friends, but when Regina King shows up, people know that she's coming to work. Mm. And there's, there, is, there is something that goes into her saying, I'm gonna get an Emmy, I'm gonna get an Oscar because of the quality of my work, as opposed to being the eight girl for a minute mm -hmm. that people will forget and replace. So work on your craft. And the third thing I will say is, there is nothing in the world that you can accomplish that you that you cannot accomplish, that no, there's nothing you can accomplish by being a bad listener. Mm. And if you wanna be a good actor, you wanna be a good comedian, you wanna be a good musician, a good performer, all of the great people know how to listen to others. Because what happens is that vanity and ego, once you start elevating, makes you think that you are always saying the right things and people wanna hear you talk. But there is, there's so much power in being able to shut up and listen to others that you will learn. That's what my husband says. And <laughs> you, will, you will learn and you will grow and you will conquer if you know how to listen. I and hear you. I agree 1,000%. This has been so amazing to have you. 
Yes. I adore you. And please take a listen. You can find this on Sherry Shell Studio Talk. You can find it on Sherry Shell Studios YouTube. We're send it gonna... to me so I can share it. That what? Send it to me so I can share it. Oh, I'm going to send it to you as soon as Lily, who's running this, Lily Kerrigan, amazing woman. Um, so thank you so much. And as I tell everybody to try to stay courteously aggressive out there, we're going to get through this. It is a really hard time, but keep yourself on that positive mindset and stay active and stay creative. Ida, I adore you. I'll see you Friday. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Stay strong, everybody. Bye. Bye. Who's your mom?